Welcome to the ABR podcast, where some of Australian Book Review's contributors discuss major issues or read their reviews and creative writing. My name's Peter Rose, and I'm the editor of ABR. If you enjoy these podcasts, think about subscribing to the magazine. Those 25 and under can do so for as little as $25 for the online version or $50 for print plus online. Hello, I'm Christopher Menz. The ABR Cultural Tours are on again with our commercial partners Academy Travel. Next up is a tour of Victoria's famous regional galleries, from the Yarra Valley to Shepparton and Bendigo. Join Peter Rose and myself for eight days of conversation, gallery visits, restaurants, beautiful countryside, and ABR's unique brand of conviviality. The dates are October 12 to 19. See the ABR or Academy Travel websites for full details or to make a booking. A year before he became Prime Minister of India in 1947, Nehru proclaimed that his nation was, quote, a cultural unity amidst diversity, bundle of contradictions held together by strong but invisible threads, unquote. Yet in the 75 years since India's independence, secularist tolerance of religious and cultural difference has been eroded by a rising tide of Hindu majoritarianism. In this week's episode of the ABR podcast, John Zabriskie reads his commentary on India's transformation under Prime Minister Narendra Modi's leadership, a tenure that has seen an increasingly unbridled attempt to establish Hindu hegemony across a variety of domains from citizenship laws, to education, to beef consumption. John Zabriskie is an historian and former diplomat and foreign correspondent. He's the author of the new book, The Shortest History of India, which we review in the July issue of ABR. His article, Illiberalism in Modi's India, appears in the same issue. This commentary is generously supported by the Judith Nielsen Institute for Journalism and Ideas. My name is John Zabriskie, and my latest book is called The Shortest History of India. To coincide with its publication, Peter Rose, the editor of the Australian Book Review, asked me to write about India today and how Hindu majoritarianism is threatening the country's once proud tradition of secularism. On the 15th of August, It'll be 75 years since Jawahar Nehru declared that India's tryst with destiny had finally been redeemed. The rapturous crowds that gathered outside the Constituent Assembly building in New Delhi on that sultry summer night cheered as loudspeakers relayed the words, At the stroke of the midnight hour, when the world sleeps, India will awake to life and freedom. Midnight's children, some 1.3 billion of them, can look back with pride at the country's achievements, not least of which include an enduring commitment to democracy and the transformation of a nation crippled by colonialism into an economic powerhouse. But India's tradition of tolerance, which has seen it absorb and assimilate different ethnic and religious groups to create what is perhaps the most diversified nation in the world, is today threatened by a wave of Hindu majoritarianism. 
As president of the Congress party and India's first prime minister, Nehru was acutely aware that the price of his country's hard-won independence was the partitioning of the subcontinent along religious lines. There would be no question that India would follow Pakistan's example. Secularism became the mantra of the newborn nation. Writing in his magnum opus, The Discovery of India, Nehru insisted that it was entirely misleading to refer to Indian culture as Hindu culture. For him, India was a cultural unity amidst diversity, a bundle of contradictions held together by strong but invisible threads. Guaranteeing the rights of minorities, both religious and ethnic, became a central tenet of India's constitution when it came into effect on the 26th of January 1950. Discrimination based on caste and creed was made illegal. On the economic front, the rallying cry became self-reliance. Gandhian protesters had once burned British cloth to break the yoke of foreign economic domination. The new India would make its own steel, manufacture its own cars and clothing. Inspired by the Soviet model, it embraced five-year plans, introduced the License Raj to regulate the economy and built massive dams that were dubbed Temples of Modernity. The smashing electoral victories of the Bharatiya Janata Party in the 2014 and 2019 elections have irrevocably changed India's political, social and cultural landscape. Not only did the BJP become the first party to win an outright majority in the Lok Sabha or lower house of parliament in more than two decades, it left Congress so decimated that it no longer qualifies as an official opposition. Prime Minister Narendra Modi is arguably the world's most powerful politician based on the size of his electoral mandate, the reach of his party's machinery and his presidential ruling style. Impervious to criticism, he has never held a press conference and has much of the mainstream media in his thrall. The seemingly unassailable entrenchment of the BJP has raised fears of democratic dictatorship or a version of bureaucratic authoritarianism taking hold of India's political landscape. For the first time since 1947, the BJP has succeeded in harnessing the Hindu vote nationally in the process sweeping aside caste and language-based parties, as well as those whose ideologies are based on secularism and economic nationalism, such as the communists. The days when Nehru's successor, Lal Bahadur Shastri, castigated a journalist for daring to ask what religion he belonged to are long gone. Today, even Congress leader Rahul Gandhi, scion of the Nehru-Gandhi dynasty, deems it necessary to be seen in public wearing the sacred thread that denotes his Brahmanical caste and to make offerings at Hindu temples. Since coming to power in 2014, Modi has promoted the politics of Hindutva, or Hindu nationalism, a millenarian project that involves everything from rewriting citizenship laws that disadvantage Muslims to the striking down in 2019 of the special constitutional status of India's only Muslim majority state, Jammu and Kashmir. Streets and cities have been renamed to reflect India's Hindu identity. School curricula have been moulded to reflect India's glorious Vedic past. In the southern state of Karnataka, Muslim girls are forbidden to wear the hijab in schools and the study of the ancient Sanskrit text, the Bhagavad Gita, is now mandatory. 
irrefutable archaeological and linguistic evidence is being discarded in an attempt to prove that the Aryans who brought the Sanskrit language and the roots of Hinduism from Central Asia not only predated all the other civilizations of the subcontinent, but also originated there. To make Hinduism the basis of a nationalist project seems paradoxical. As a faith, it has no single church, no recognized authority or single text that defines its beliefs. Its multiple deities are worshipped mainly in domestic shrines or wayside temples. Paradoxical, too, is the claim of victimhood in a country where Hindus make up more than 80% of the population and dominate business, government and the bureaucracy. But the alleged appeasement of religious minorities under previous secular regimes, coupled with the argument that centuries of Islamic oppression must be avenged, are potent messages easily spread on social media, where viral videos showing Muslims being attacked because of their religion are becoming an almost daily phenomenon. In recent years, India has witnessed an upsurge of campaigns targeting the consumption of beef and the slaughter of cows an animal sacred to Hindus. Opposition to love jihad, the claim that any marriage between a Muslim man and a Hindu woman is a form of forced coercion, has led to legal prohibitions on intermarriages being introduced in states such as Uttar Pradesh, where the Gard Wapsi, or homecoming movement, that seeks to reconvert Christians and Muslims to the Hindu fold, is growing. The electorate's acceptance of a shift towards Hindu majoritarianism is not an aberration. A 2017 Pew Center report found that support for autocratic rule was higher in, in India than in any other nation surveyed. A majority, 55% of Indians, backed a governing system in which a strong leader can make decisions without interference from parliament or the courts, while 53% supported military rule. In today's India, China is becoming seen as the model for countries wanting to lift themselves out of poverty and to become economic powerhouses thanks to the strong hand of their rulers. A more recent Pew Center poll found that religious divisions are deeply entrenched. The 2021 survey found that while 84% said that to be truly Indian, it is very important to respect all religions, this commitment to tolerance is accompanied by a strong preference for keeping religious communities segregated. Most Indians surveyed admitted they had little in common with members of other religious groups, with 86% of Hindus saying that their close friends come mainly or entirely from their own religious community. The survey also found that roughly two-thirds of Hindus are opposed to interfaith marriage. The figure for Muslims was even higher, with 80% saying it is very important to stop Muslim women from marrying outside their religion. Socioeconomic factors are powering the BJP juggernaut. India is recording strong economic growth after a COVID-19-inflicted recession, but this has yet to be translated into generating enough jobs to absorb the millions entering the workforce every year. By one estimate, COVID lockdowns saw an additional 230 million individuals fall below the national poverty line. Half of all women working in the formal and informal sectors lost their jobs. According to the Centre for Monitoring the Indian Economy, unemployment is rising and stands at nearly 8%.
the highest rate in more than three decades. School leavers and even university graduates are finding it difficult to get jobs. In late 2021, in the state of Madhya Pradesh, 11,000 people applied for 15 lowly paid government positions as clerks, drivers and watchmen. The CMIE's estimate of 8% unemployment only applies to the formal sector of the economy that employs around 1 in 10 of the working age population. The jobless rate in the informal sector is estimated to be around 40%, and it is from this vast pool of disaffected citizenry that the BJP is drawing much of its strength. Diverting attention away from its broken promises on the economic front to its Hindutva-inspired agenda of victimhood. With a majority of these unemployed coming from the economically backward and more conservative states of the Hindi-speaking heartland, the BJP's political agenda looks set to remain hostage to reactionary forces. This is reflected in the party's second consecutive victory in this year's assembly elections in India's largest state, Uttar Pradesh where its saffron-clad chief minister, Yogi Adityanath, a Mahant or temple priest, is being spoken of as Modi's eventual successor as a leader of the BJP. If the communal clashes led by sword-waving Hindu youths targeting Muslim localities and mosques that broke out in New Delhi and several other Indian cities in April are any guide, the BJP may be falling into what political scientist Pratap Banu Mehta calls a power paradox trap, where the forces it unleashed in its quest for political supremacy are becoming increasingly hard to control. Writes Pratap, these foot soldiers of political violence are not easy to decommission. Now that they have tasted the elixir of political legitimacy, the genie will not go back into the bottle. In that sense, the triumph of reactionary politics should not be measured only by its electoral victories or entrenchment in the state. It should be measured by the fact that wherever it has gone, it is breaking apart whatever modest social capital India had. Organisationally, the BJP draws its strength from the Rashtriya Swayam Sevak Sangh, the RSS, the largest volunteer organisation in the world. Inspired at its founding by European fascist youth organisations of the 1920s, its four million members run everything from flood relief programmes to coaching classes for job seekers. It was an RSS member who assassinated Mahatma Gandhi in 1948 because he was considered too tolerant towards Muslims. Modi started off his career as an RSS cadre. Despite the BJP's vast base and the lack of viable political alternatives, there is nothing inevitable about India's drift towards majoritarianism. As the noted political scientist Sumit Ganguly argues, the sheer cultural, linguistic and ethnic variety of the country will not be easily steamrolled. India's inherent diversity will stand in the way of forging a regime that embraces liberalism. Indeed, it can be argued that India has endured as a working, if chaotic, state because of its commitment, even if flawed and partial, to liberal democracy. Indian politicians still recognise that legitimacy comes from the ballot box. They know that unfulfilled promises will come back to haunt them. An assertive and growing middle class, many of whom are paying taxes for the first time, are demanding real accountability from elected officials.
the wider electorate is savvy enough to know the importance of changing governments, particularly at the state level. There is an old Hindi saying that you can't make a chapati unless you flip it over. Cook only one side and it will burn. India's experiment with democracy may be charred, but it remains its best hope as the country faces an uncertain and challenging future. Thanks for listening to the Australian Book Review podcast. Join us again next week. If you enjoyed this episode, why not consider subscribing to ABR? Subscriptions start from just $10 a month for full digital access. Visit our website for more information. We'd like to thank Stacey Chan, who edits the podcast, as well as our contributors who take the time to read their articles and creative writing. And if you enjoy listening to the ABR podcast, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes.